One thing I would I would suggest, especially for language learners at the very beginning, mm -hmm. um, there is often a stigma associated when people ask, you know, like, you know, if you're learning a language, like, oh, are you fluent yet? As if this is, you know, the place where you have to be mm. in order for any of the work that you put in to be worthwhile. Mm. But it's just such a wonderful thing even to be able to say just a few words in a language. Um, I mean, it, it should not, like, being at the elementary level should not be stigmatized. It should be, you know, celebrated. Um, any little bit that you're learning is just wonderful. It's not as if you're fluent or you failed. Mm. Um, and I really wish that people who are just starting learning out language would could feel that, you know? Hi, David. Hello. Well, welcome to the show, first of all, and it's really a pleasure to have you on. And thank yeah, you very, for the invitation. Yeah. yeah, very happy to be here. All right. So, yeah, first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background as uh, language, you know, your experience with languages? Uh, so I... Um... You know, I grew up when I was very young because my mother's family is from Mexico. I grew up with English and Spanish, okay. but um, but my uh, first stepfather uh, didn't want us to communicate with my mother's family, mm. and he moved us away for some time. And so um, I kind of lost my ability in Spanish by the time my mother divorced them and we had reintegrated with the family. And so I was no longer very good with Spanish anymore. And so uh, other language, languages other than English uh, frustrated me. And mm. so I didn't pay, any, pay them any attention until I was 17 years old. And then um, for whatever reason, I really wanted to learn French. Mm. Um, and then I, I decided to expand and just learn every language I could. And so I started uh, studying uh, languages on my own. I studied uh, Latin, French at home. I studied uh, German in school. This is my last year. So I took German with a bunch of uh, freshmen. Uh, and then when I got to uh, the university, UC Berkeley, I, uh, I took Arabic and I really, really loved it. Nice. Um, and so I started to add more languages. I took Russian and then I took Esperanto. Um, <laughs> and Esperanto was the first uh, created language I had ever heard of. Mm. Um, the next semester I took French and I took, um, I, I took linguistics. Um, and I, I fell in love with linguistics immediately. Um, I never imagined anything like that. It was, you know, you could learn about many different languages without having the pressure to actually learn the languages. Mm, right. um, and so uh, in that first linguistics class, I came up with the idea to create my own language, but not one that would compete with Esperanto as a universal language, just mm -hmm. one for fun. Okay. And so um, I, I started and uh, kept up with it, and it's been 23 years now. Wow. Nice. And yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've got so many questions when it comes to mm -hmm. creating languages, because I obviously I'm not a linguist, so I wouldn't know where to start. But 
like how how do you create a language <laughs> that's it's it's a super broad question but how do you start or what what do you pay attention to or yeah just well you, the process. <laughs> you have to start with deciding why you're creating a language okay and there are a lot of decisions to be made but little by little as you make these top level decisions they narrow down and so you know, the first thing is, are you creating a spoken language, a written language, a signed language or something mm -hmm. else? And the moment you make one of those choices, you know, suddenly, um, you know, everything starts to narrow down. Then it's like, well, why are you creating the language? Mm -hmm. Are you creating it for international communication? Are you creating it just because you enjoy it? Are you creating it for use with friends or a loved one? Are you creating it for a story? And there, once you start to make some of these decisions, um, the next decisions become a bit clearer. Uh, for example, if you're creating something for a story, you have to create something that makes sense for that story. Mm -hmm. um, if you're creating something for yourself, you have to create something that pleases you um, or something that fits the aesthetic that you're going for. Um, and so anytime you like it, when you, let's say that you create a spoken language and you get to sounds and it's like, oh, what sounds do I use? There are so many. Well, you say, well, what are you doing? Are you creating something for you? Then you better create something that you like the sound of. Are okay. you creating something for a group of people? Well, you better start with their history, mm -hmm. who these people are. Are there names there that already exist? What sounds are in those names? Do you have to incorporate them? And so, you know, a little bit by little bit, once you have the sound system fleshed out, if you're creating a spoken language, you can start to create uh, the first elements of grammar, usually something with the nouns, then something with the verbs, uh, and then move on from there, move on to sentence structure, mm. uh, move on to derivation, and then, you know, just fill out many, many, you know, the, the thousands of words in the lexicon. Uh, and then use it for translation. And then in translation, undoubtedly, other areas of grammar will come up, will be suggested to you. Um, and so, you know, you answer those questions as they come up, making sure that they fit with everything that you've done prior. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's a big thing, but it's just yeah. like any big project, like building a stadium or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like you can't imagine building a stadium. There's so many things involved. So you just take it one one step at a time. Mm -hmm. Little by little, it 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 comes together. Cool. And uh, did you did you learn about that in, in linguistics or was it your own project that you learned by yourself or? Oh no, they, linguistics at that time, they wouldn't touch language creation with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> It's kind of a joke to them. Um, I know I taught myself uh, until I found others. You know, I found other language creators online and then I learned from them. Mm, that's cool. That's cool. So that that first language that you started to create, you said that it was purely for fun. But did, did you have mm -hmm. the expectation that you were going to use it in your real life or just, just wanted to do it for the first time? And kind I of did. I felt like, yeah. I thought that my my girlfriend and I would speak it together. That was a foolish thing to think. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it was all right. It, the The language wasn't any good. Uh, first languages generally aren't, mm -hmm. um, and so it was a good learning experience. Uh, 
And, you know, when I moved on the next language that I created, it also wasn't very good, but it was also a learning experience. And, you know, little by little, you, you get better as you go from project to project. Mm -hmm. Right. Because your girlfriend wasn't as interested as you were in the project, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, and yeah, so let's, let's move on to, you know, the, the languages that you created for Game of Thrones. So how many how many languages had you created before that or did did they contact you because you've you've created a lot of languages before or how was that project i had created about 17 um but um the the project for dothraki for game of thrones it was a competition and it was a competition that i won mm. it was hosted by the language creation society and a lot of other language creators competed right. um and so, uh, yeah, I competed, uh, I won, and then I became the language creator for the show. Right. So, and then you created High Valyrian as well? Yeah, that was in between seasons two and three. Okay. And for those two languages, I guess, obviously, you, you had to study the story a lot and, you know, the characters and... Yeah. And that was where all the inspiration came from for those two languages trying mm -hmm. to match the aesthetic that George R. R. Martin had created in the books. Right. And was it more challenging than the previous ones? I guess I would say so, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Or kind of similar, yeah. Yeah, it's a, yeah, a similar challenge. Okay. Um, not like it's more or less difficult. It was just a different challenge, yeah. Mm hmm okay mm. and yeah i'm i'm also curious about the like the act well the daenerys mainly but you know the actors that had to use to actually use the language mm. uh, did they just memorize the the sentences or did they attempt to learn the language or how was how was the process no they memorized it uh, i think that's the case for all actors that have ever done Hmm. uh any of the work i've done they just uh, memorize it no, it's too much to learn a language to be able to perform a role okay. i think the same goes for uh when they have lines in you know other languages on earth yeah, you yeah. know not to learn them they just learn to pronounce them yeah i've i've, I've watched some interviews with i don't know like people from Spain who go to the United States or, you know, people from other countries. And yeah, like you said, they just, they memorize what they have to say. And, but I, I was just curious, I don't know if any of the actors or actresses were so interested in it that decided to learn a little bit of, you know. What... Not on Game of Thrones, no. Um... And there was one actress on Defiance who was particularly keen on the language I created, and her name was Nicole Galicia, and she was incredible. Um, and I gave her a copy of that language uh, just as a present. Nice. Um, but in general, no. No, they haven't shown any interest. Yeah, it's just part of the role, I guess, right? Mm hmm Yeah. yeah. Cool, cool. And yeah, I'm also curious about those earlier languages that you talked about, like uh, all, all those different languages that you took classes on. Were those classes what I call the traditional grammar approach, like, you know, studying rules, uh, memorizing, or 
Do you have different kinds of experiences with them, different results, or how was that process? For for the different language classes that I've taken yeah, over like the years? The, yeah, like all the language, like the French, Latin, Sprint, all the languages. Yeah. What, what, what type of classes did you get or what, what were the results? Did you end up acquiring? No. Um, hmm. All different types, I suppose. Um, probably the least effective was Middle Egyptian hieroglyphs because uh, she didn't really teach anything. She just had us get a book and then pointed out things in the book to us. It wasn't mm -hmm. really structured lessons. Um, I think the most effective, I only took one semester of Russian, but I remember everything that I learned. Uh, and it was just, the book was very good that we used. Um, and everything was structured quite well. Um, those I think were were the best. Uh, I um, for myself, I'm aided by like most of the time. If I just learn something, I remember it, and so I don't. Yeah, you know, I never had to study or anything like that. Mm. I just uh, and so that's helpful for language learning. Um, and so I don't know if that is more about me or about the classes. Mm -hmm. um, but it's like, you know, I took um, I took Arabic um, you know, 24 years ago at this point, but I remember what I learned. It's not like I've used it in between. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, but even so, the that Russian was good. That Russian one was was set up well. I should I would have taken a second semester, but the next course was offered at eight in the morning, and that's too early. <laughs> I would never wake up for that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, so I. And did you go on with any of those languages later after those classes to try to become fluent in it, or are you mm. able to use any of those today? Or oh, sure. To the to the same you know, the same amount that I was when I stopped, yeah. Right, but so if you went to, you know, Arabic, for example, if you went to Egypt or any... Oh, I doubt <laughs> it. I doubt that because the way that Arabic is taught, they teach you modern standard Arabic, mm, right. which is not really spoken anywhere. Yeah. Um, so in order to actually be able to go to some place and speak to people there... You have to speak what they call the local dialect, but what right. is frankly, it's honestly, it's just a different language at this point. Mm. Um, and so, I, I don't know. I might be able to get get by reading, but the thing is, the pronunciation for for each of the countries that have Arabic as their main language, they're so different, and the vocabulary is so different that what you learn with modern standard Arabic is really not extremely useful and so really like after the first year and the thing is if i had continued on in arabic i would have gone into a specific variant but again those classes were offered too early and i didn't want to wake up for that so um and that that's why i stopped studying arabic it was the only reason i really loved the language but i think that what would have happened had i continued on because i believe everybody in the department they focused on egyptian arabic and so I think I would have learned that variety of Arabic 
Um, and I know a little bit about the pronunciation because they were trying to introduce it to us at the end, but um, but I, I didn't learn enough to be able to understand Egyptian Arabic. It's just too much. Right, right. And and with Russian, for example, that you know, it's not the same case Arabic. Could you go to Russia today and communicate or? Oh man, what I learned in that one semester of Russian is great because it doesn't just help with uh, with Russian. Like I've been to I've been to Poland and like I can understand some of the signage just because there's such strong um, you know resemblances between the Slavic languages, yep. uh, and so that's extremely useful. Um, it makes you miss Cyrillic though, because goodness gracious, the spelling system they've created for Polish is a mess, but um, but you can understand. So yeah, no, that is extremely useful. <laughs> yeah, I actually live in Poland. <laughs> oh my, where do you live? In Krakow. I love that city. I've been to <laughs> I've been to Warsaw and I've been to Krakow. And I think that is a, a absolutely beautiful city. I really love my time there. Mm. Yeah, um, I completely agree with it. Yes, I'm, I'm actually from Spain, but I live in Krakow. And I, I was thinking about it because I do speak Polish. And yeah, thanks to it, I started I started with Russian a couple of years ago. And it was way more comprehensible than it would, than it would have been without Polish for me, right? So yeah. The alphabet was different, of course, but listening to it, I could understand way more than I would have been able to if it wasn't for Polish. over there? Can you get any? What, sir? Can you get any paella over there? Paella? <laughs> a couple of Spanish restaurants, but... <laughs> really? Really? Yeah. Wow. But I, I try to... No, actually, I, I've never been to any of them, but there's a couple. <laughs> because, you know, now I'm, uh, I usually go to Spain in the summer for a month or so, so I... Yeah, yeah. I'll get my share it, it is a favorite little pastime of mine to especially when going to Europe to find Mexican restaurants and see what they serve calling Mexican food. It's I take photographs of the menu because it's so humorous. <laughs> nice. Um, oh, I'm gonna be thinking about pierogi for the rest of the day. There you go. <laughs> They're mm. really good. They're really good. Mm. Anyway, yeah. sorry, go. No, 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 that's totally fine. And mm -hmm. yeah, I'm also interested um, when it comes to linguistics, when you study linguistics, uh, is there any subject, do they talk about language acquisition theory or it's all about, you know, analyzing the languages or what? what is it about? What Like, what do you actually learn in linguistics? In um. Uh, either or either or both of those things. Linguistics is very large. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's the study of every single part of a language. And depending on how far up you get, you can really specialize. And so the major sub-branches of linguistics are phonetics, which is the actual uh, mechanisms of sound and the study of the articulation of sound. Uh, phonology, which is uh, how we organize sounds in languages. Uh, morphology, which is how words change to affect meaning change. Um, syntax, uh, the arrangement of words in a sentence. Uh, mm -hmm. Pragmatics, the, the way that we use uh, certain elements to, um, so not how they're arranged syntactically, but how we use those things to actually 
convey meaning. Um, uh, semantics, which is the actual you know, formal semantics, uh, the study of meaning. Um, and then um, moving on into like uh, cognitive science and neuroscience, that is how uh, how language is uh, reflected in the brain and how it works in the brain. Um, and then um, beyond that, there's sociolinguistics. That's where language acquisition sits, uh, really somewhere in between there and cognitive science. Because there's, you know, questions, you know, there's social questions about how language is acquired, both as a first language and a second language. Mm -hmm. And then there are questions about what's happening in the brain when you acquire language. Um, anyway, and then there's minor things like the study of writing systems and things like that. But um, all of that is a part of linguistics. Mm -hmm. And Oh, and historical linguistics. I missed that, how languages evolve over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's interesting as well. And can you correlate correlate what you what you're learning? Let's say one branch in which you're studying, you know, how the language itself, as opposed to what is necessary in order to acquire language. I I don't know if I, if it was clear enough. So what I mean is, mm -hmm. so I believe in comprehensible input um, approaches yeah. to acquisition, right? So. Um, knowing all of, all of that about the language itself, the morphology, the phonology, everything that you mentioned, how does that correlate with language acquisition? Because, mm. you know, the way I like to acquire languages, I, 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 you're probably familiar with Stephen Gresham's theories. And so I really yeah. love his approach to language acquisition. So I always talk about that language acquisition is not about the language itself, but it's about, it's about the message, understanding the message, and language acquisition happens as a sort of side effect, if you want. So how do you, I don't know how to, how to uh, place the question is like, uh, what, what's, the, what's the relationship between the language itself and the actual acquisition process, if any? Um, so there is, um... And this actually comes up with language creation too often. Mm -hmm. uh, people will ask me if I'm fluent in the languages I've created, and I say, no, of course not. And it's because um, linguists are also familiar with this. Uh, linguists, for example, who study a particular phenomena in a given language, let's say you're studying the syntax of Malagasy, mm -hmm. um, you can know the Malagasy language really well and know its grammar very well and still not be able to speak it or understand it, hmm. um, it can be helpful. Um, so it can be helpful to know the grammar of a language, but learning it is not tantamount to being able to use it and understand it. Um, and for it, it's different what everybody needs for that. Um, I, I'm sure that that some people are able to study a language in a book and then get enough to be able to communicate. Um, that's never been effective for me in terms of actual production. Mm -hmm. I've studied many languages uh, from a book alone. Um, and it's been very helpful to me as a language creator because I understand their grammar, right. which is ultimately, you know, like that's what you're building and everything. Right. But, um, but I can't actually speak those languages. The languages that I'm able to speak any bit of or the languages I've studied in a classroom where there was, uh, you know, a, a, a teacher there who was fluent 
and we went back and forth and we did practice like that. Um, so it's like, even though I've, you know, studied only, you know, one semester of Russian, I feel much more comfortable with that than, you know, I've studied something like, or I've been working with Turkish for years, right? But I, not even a single word could I confidently produce with that. Whereas just that one little semester of Russian was enough to help me to say a few things and mm -hmm. to know what to listen for. Uh, it's just a different type of experience, uh, for me at least. Um, I know that some people can do it from books. It's possible. Um, but I think, you know, really the um, what you have to do in order to be able to actually learn a language is just stick with it and use it every single day, you know, a little bit here and there. Um, keep pushing once you've achieved a certain level of mastery you know um otherwise like you can't just do it once and then leave it alone you kind of just have to keep up with it again and again um <clears> there's <throat> something else i wanted to say about that but ah, i can't remember maybe it comes to me <laughs> yeah well it's exactly the same thing for me like uh, i mm. i can learn it from a book and also, like one of my fears when it comes to someone learning from a book or trying to consciously learn the language is that whenever they go out to the real world and try to communicate, they're going to need time to access that consciousness, right? And and in the real time mm -hmm. conversation, you just don't have the time for that, right? You can't have the time, like you said, if you're creating a language or if you're writing because you have, or, or you know, or, or reading because you have time to process things and but in the real time conversation you just don't have time and that's why many people when speaking a foreign language they have that hesitant style with a lot of pauses you know like um uh, they try to access that consciousness yeah. for books right there are a couple of other things to that one of them is that there are there are traditions in language instruction that differ language by language. Mm. Um, and many of them are built on fictions. Like, for example, and it varies. So like, you know, one of the biggest fiction with Arabic is that if you're going to learn Arabic, you have to start with modern standard Arabic. Mm. And then once you kind of like master that, then you can, you know, learn some of these, you know, little dialects which aren't you know exactly proper even though those are the real languages right um same thing with english and this is the saddest thing there are so many in america there are so many native english speakers who don't speak anything else who will say without blinking twice uh, it's like oh yeah i speak english but i don't know grammar <laughs> as as if there was some magical form of the english language that is proper and pure that you're supposed to speak but none of us do. And it's like, uh, and sometimes this filters into language instruction, whether it's from a teacher, whether it's from a book and they teach you in this way, like with these, with these fictions behind them. Mm. And it doesn't actually help you with the language that you're supposed to be learning. Right. It's just there for, for silly reasons, for tradition. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't actually help you with, with day-to-day -day speech. Um, which is silly because then it's like, well, why are you even learning this? Um, so that's part of it. And then the other part of it is that there are inhibitors, uh, both to language use and language learning. 
Um, and one of the, and ultimately what they boil down to is uh, shame, which mm -hmm. is the biggest inhibitor when it comes to language learning and language use. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the reasons they've had to teach heritage languages differently. So uh, people like me who grew up with Spanish for a time and then it was you know, cut off, right? Um, there's a lot of shame associated with that with those people because they feel like, and they may have gotten pressure from their family to feel like you're supposed to speak this language mm. um, and you don't speak it perfectly. And so you feel shame associated with that and it makes it, it can make it so that it's easier for you to learn some other language than the language that you spoke at birth, mm, which sense. is which is which is crazy. And then the other thing, and this is the biggest one, and this goes for all adults, all right? If you learn a new language, a brand new language, you're just starting. Mm -hmm. You can't expect to be fluent. Uh, and furthermore, even if you study that language for a year, you cannot expect to be as fluent in that language as you are in your native language, right? Which means that when you speak in that language, you're not going to be able to express yourself in exactly the way you would in your native language. Mm -hmm. But there is shame associated with that. You're like, I'm an adult. I'm not a kid. I right. don't make little mistakes like that. Mm -hmm. I want to say this. And if I don't know how to say it exactly the way I want to, that is shameful. Mm -hmm. Because I'm an adult. How could, how could I possibly be like that? Mm -hmm. And so uh, it inhibits you. It makes you hold up. It makes you reflect, wait, have I conjugated this verb correctly? Is this agreeing with that? And you start thinking rather than communicating. Mm -hmm. and, and in fact, honestly, the people that I find that are best at learning languages are the ones that don't care at all. Mm -hmm. They make dozens of mistakes. Right. Sometimes people laugh at them and then they just laugh too. They're like, oh, yep. Now, I didn't know that. And then you just keep going. They don't think about it. They don't hang up. They're like, yep, I made a, I made five mistakes in that sentence, but I don't care. I'm trying my best. And mm -hmm. that's the best way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, well said. I'm, I'm actually to bottle that like as much as I can. What I mean is I always talk about, you know, like the you're supposed to, the you should. Mm -hmm. I try to bottle those because... You know, to put it in, in a simple way, your ability to communicate at a given point is what it is. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is uh, it doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that you're dumb. It doesn't mean that it's not going to work. It doesn't mean that you're not talented for languages. It, it, it just means you, you haven't gotten to that point that you'd like to get to yet. Mm -hmm. Right. But there's no should, like you said, with Spanish, you're supposed to communicate in Spanish. Either you are or either you're not. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm trying to explain it because it sounds simplistic at times, but it's, it, it, just, it is what it is at a certain point. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you want to communicate better, you got to keep getting exposed to the language, right? Yeah. And, and you know, sometimes it's easy to, uh, it's easy to, to set it aside when there's something more important. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, like, um, there was an instance I was flying to, I can't remember if I was flying to India or from India, mm -hmm. but at, at some point in time, there was a card that needed to be filled out on the airplane where it had a bunch of things like your name and blah, 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 and where you're going. 
And um, I happened to have the internet on this flight and there was a, an older Indian woman who did not speak English. And this card was in English and she didn't understand it. And it was like, I don't speak Hindi. I had studied in a book, right? Mm. Um, but like, I could read it at least. And so I, I pulled up Google Translate and I just started typing these things in and like, um, see if she understood it. And like, I would also check to see if this is, if the, make sure that the translation was correct because they kind of tell you what each word means. And we were getting through it. And then it was like, we get to the last part where it says signature. <laughs> and I type in uh, signature, she looks at it and she's like that. And I, I go um, like sign. And she's like, she's like, I put like sign your name. And then it comes up the translation. She has no idea. And then finally, like a, a younger woman comes by and she sees that what we're trying to do. Oh, what are you, what are you trying to do? It's like, I'm trying to say it to tell her to sign her name and it's like nothing's coming up and she's like oh and she says something to the woman in hindi and just oh okay and she puts her name and it's just like you know but the funny thing is at that point in time i wasn't thinking about oh i don't speak hindi very well or whatever and she wasn't thinking about oh i don't speak english we were trying to solve a problem mm -hmm. we had we had this one little tool we were doing the best we could and we were just trying everything just to figure out what worked, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it was nice because it was just a small moment where it was just like, all right, we know what we're trying to do and we're just not focused on the problems. We're focused on the solutions right now. Mm -hmm. I wonder what the translation was. <laughs> oh, me too. I'm so <laughs> curious. <laughs> it's not like it's a big sentence that, you know, it's yeah. just word. it should, you know, the translation. One little thing. Accurate enough, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And um, yeah, are you you looking to learn any language in the near future or uh, uh, Finnish? Finnish? Oh, yes. My fiance and I have been uh, studying Finnish for some time now, and we would we would love to get to a point where we can be conversational in Finnish. Uh, I I really it's a really fun language, and I've I finally got the rhythm of it down. So um, little by little, we're, we're working at it. Okay. I can recommend a channel of a friend that I interviewed like a few weeks ago. It's called Finnish. Yeah. Finnish. Ooh. <laughs> like with, you know, double N. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, she, she also creates videos with comprehensible input ideas. You know, she tries to communicate in a way that is comprehensible. Mm -hmm. I'm looking it up. Yeah, it's uh, Lota from Finland. Yeah, nice. So Whatever reason my internet is not doing anything, but I, I, I at least I've got it spelled. There mm -hmm. we go. Finished. No wait. All right. Yeah, I've got it. A YouTube channel. Yep. Yep. Haha. <laughs> All right. Oh. Awesome. Oh, I look forward to that. Thank you. Finnish culture and so on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But um, adjusting the way she communicates so it's comprehensible, right? All right. <laughs> oh, that'll be fun. Thank you. No, no problem. Because that's pretty much the idea that I, I, what's the word? 
the idea that I'm most most interested in, like you know, learning languages through comprehensible input in a way that it's fun all the time. Because mm -hmm. back to the point that we were talking about, studying from a book obviously it didn't work for me, <laughs> like I said. <laughs> but you know, ever since I came across Stephen Crashing's theories, I read his books and so on. I started to get educated on comprehensible input. I'm I'm learning new languages all the time, and nice. I enjoy every single minute of it. That that's the, that's the huge difference for me. Well, that and the fact that it's working. <laughs> <laughs> but what I mean is, you know, for pretty much all of us, the the experience with languages when we're growing up, it's all about you know at least in Spain when it comes to English, it's all grammar exercises, memorizing. Mm. It's, it's just it's just not fun. It, well, it's not working, first of all, and it's just not fun. It was, for me, it was just one more subject that I had to pass and that's it, right? And and as an adult, I realized that languages are actually my passion. So that's, that's how different the experience can be, right? And now, obviously, I'm Every day I'm I'm getting exposed to the languages that I can already communicate in, like Italian, Portuguese, French. But I'm I'm learning German and Russian now, like I said. And I, I just learn by watching videos. Of course, according to my level, mm -hmm. it needs to be comprehensible, right? Otherwise, it's just nice. But reading, watching videos, listening to podcasts, it's just such a different experience. That's the main thing that I try to communicate with my podcast and my project, that there's there's a way to learn any language that you're interested in by enjoying every single minute of it. Because that's the only yeah. way to learn anything, in my opinion. Right? Yeah. Otherwise, you won't stick with it. And that's the most important part is sticking with it. Um, it's a very bizarre thing when it comes to language learning, because in other areas of education, um, there are they're often subjected to a lot of metrics. And mm -hmm. it will be the case there. it's like, we're going to try this program for whether it's teaching mathematics or teaching literature. We're going to test it periodically. We're going to see if students' comprehension increases, stays the same, or decreases. And basically, if it stays the same or decreases, they're like something about this isn't working, so we're going to change it. Mm -hmm. With language instruction, it has been like teaching Latin from the 16th century for years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if students are coming out of it and aren't like, you know, up to the level of fluency that they would want or expect, they'll be like, well, they were lazy. You know, uh, the students, um, you know, they're not putting enough time in. And it's always the student's fault. <laughs> it's never like, let's look at how the instruction works and maybe change it. There was, um, you know, I I went to graduate school at UC San Diego, and I never took a language course there, but I learned about it because language instruction was done through the linguistics department, and they did something very interesting. First, they separated heritage speakers and those who had just never learned the language before and had separate classes for them that had separate methods of instruction. And for those that were learning a language brand new, it was five days a week. Uh, three days a week was completely conversational. There was no homework and it was all in the target language and it was just practice. Two days a week 
were grammar and were done in English. And so it was like, here's some of the things that you learned. Here are some of the nuts and bolts, but they never combined them. It was like when you came to speak, they didn't want you having to remember like, oh, drills and things like that or, or having to like write or anything like that. It was just you're just speaking mm -hmm. and you're just using the language. You're using it at the level that you're supposed to you know, be able to use it at this point. And it's nothing but that. Um, and then when it was, you know, grammar, it was like, well, we might as well use the language you understand. And it was really just like, maybe this will help you understand a little bit better some of the things that we've introduced speaking. Here's some of what you've seen, you mm -hmm. know, and it was meant for reinforcement uh, with the ultimate goal being conversational fluency. Yeah. I thought that was a neat idea. Yeah. And um... I wasn't there, obviously, but I'm pretty sure those two days, they weren't as engaged as they were in the other three. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I mean by that is you can you can argue that those two days are, like you said, sort of uh, reinforcing what they're getting in the other three. But if yeah. you look at the kids or the, you know, the, 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 the students, they're probably just thinking about all the things. Or I, I don't know. I'm just I'm just guessing, but I'm I'm trying to relate back to my experience in high school and so on, and most people's experience. So, yeah. The nice thing though is that it's a little different in in college. Most of the time, kids are there because they want to learn the language. Right, right. That's a difference. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's something that's so important, um, and it's nothing that you can control for. Mm -hmm. but and it's like it goes for anything really when you're learning it's like you should be here because you want to learn this you mm -hmm. shouldn't be here because you have to learn this but sometimes you have to be either because you're being told because it's a school curriculum curriculum or it's like well my my job is moving me to this country and so i have to do this right but man it's just not the way to learn anything yeah. <laughs> you really gotta want to be there exactly yeah i forgot it. you were talking about college right all right yeah 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 i mean that's why I I I did Spanish online as well, and I did adults mainly because of that. I mean, for other reasons as well. Also because you know we can our knowledge of the world is much greater, so we can talk about many more different topics and things. But basically, because adults want to be there, kids, yeah, usually not. <laughs> <laughs> and like you said, there's there's a huge difference, you know you can try to find your way around it as a teacher, but it's just hard, you know, when I argue 99% of everything I know, I've, 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 I've learned because I wanted to on my own, I mean, on my own meaning that I've look, actively looked for it, you know, yeah. after school. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Totally agree with that. Okay. So any final message for, language learners out there any tip any encouragement <laughs> <laughs> uh well one thing i would i would suggest especially for language learners at the very beginning mm -hmm. um there is often a stigma associated when people ask you know like you know, if you're learning a language like oh are you fluent yet as if this is you know the place where you have to be mm. in order for any of the work that you put in to be worthwhile but it's just such a wonderful thing even to be able to say just a few words in a language. Um, I mean, it, 
it should not like being at the elementary level should not be stigmatized. It should be, you know, celebrated. Um, any little bit that you're learning is just wonderful. It's not as if you're fluent or you failed. Mm. Um, and I really wish that people who are just starting learning out language would could feel that, you know. I love it. Love it. Yeah, it's not black or white, right? Mm. That's right. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Because cool. yeah, actually, if you're especially if you're learning several languages, you're not gonna get to fluency in all of them. Like that's right. I'm I'm seeing that myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> But it's it's a really healthy way of looking at it. Yeah, I agree. Cool. Oh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, thank you so much, David. And it's been a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. Thank you too. And yeah, it was I, I've never talked to anyone who had created a language. So I was really interested in in that part and <laughs> everything everything else, of course. And especially such a couple of famous languages that, you know, everyone's heard of them, at least, or <laughs> a lot of people. Yeah. All right on. So happy to be here. So was it, I was trying to remember the Valar. Valar Morghulis. Ah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot, yeah. Didn't, oh, good. didn't get enough exposure to the language. <laughs> there you go. And uh, how you would say, thank you, Kirimbose. Oh, Kirimbose. Wow. With a K, Kirimbose. Oh. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, David. All right. Have a good night. You too. Thanks so much for watching this interview. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was helpful for you. And uh, if you want to know more about language learning, language acquisition, like, you know, what's what's the best way to learn a language, ideas for language learning, uh, the best resources at different levels. Here, you can find the whole playlist with all the interviews I've done so far with different researchers, teachers, polyglots, and so on. And finally, right here, you smash this guy right in the face to subscribe to my channel. I really appreciate it and I'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye.